Hello, and welcome to another episode of Professional Book Girl. My name is Kayla, and I read a ton of books so that I recommend the best to you. And honestly, that is what we are doing on every episode, but specifically this episode, because starting today, we are counting down my top 15 books of 2023. At the time of recording, I have read 225 books. Crazy. I know. I'll talk about why that happened maybe in a little bit, but we are starting the countdown today from 15 to 11. I am so excited. Let's get into it. But first, I just want to remind you guys, if you are inspired to pick up one of these books, I would really love it if you do it through my bookshop.org page. It's bookshop.org slash slash slash. Oh my God. Bookshop.org slash shop slash professional book girl. I get like a very small amount of money. And also I realized in the middle of the night last night that I announced that whole thing on episode two. And then I didn't even put the episodes. I mean, the books from episode two in it, I am just all over the place with the holidays, which is, I know what happens. I'm exhausted. I'm tired, but we're doing it. And they will be in the bookshop this time. So thank you for doing that. If you do. Also a reminder to please subscribe or follow whatever it is you have to do on whatever podcast platform you are listening on. It helps me grow the show and gain more listeners and hopefully new opportunities can come from that. And here I am for the first time on the show, begging for some reviews. It helps me understand what you guys want to see. And it also helps me in the charts and the ratings. Like I said, I have big plans for the show. I want to grow it and make it as big as possible. And this is a way that you guys can help me do that. And it's free. Okay, so if you didn't just skip over that whole bit, which I wouldn't blame you if you did, um, now that I'm done, um, I don't know what the word is. I Like I said, I am very tired this week, but we, we're doing this, and I'm excited to be here. Obviously, I look forward to recording all week, which just makes me realize that going back to podcasting was the right thing to do. For those boring announcements, let's get into what I am obsessed with this week, and this week I am obsessed with five-star reads, and this kind of does go with what this episode is because all of the books that you will hear me talk about for this episode, there will be five. And then the next two episodes, five on each five books on each of those episodes, as I'm counting down my top 15 books of the year, these are all five-star reads. And last week, last weekend specifically, while I was home for Thanksgiving, I had two five-star reads and I'm not talking about either of them on this episode. One of them did make it into the top 15. So you'll be hearing about it in a few weeks. I think it might be in the top five actually, which is very exciting. But I want to talk to you guys about what a five-star read is to me, how I kind of decide that something is a five-star read. There is really no rhyme or reason to it. I'll get into that. But I want you to understand why I give a book five stars because I think knowing that will make it more impactful as you hear me talk about all of these books for the next few weeks. And honestly, as the show goes on and I continue to talk about five-star reads because that is my favorite book to talk about. I love to talk about a five-star read. Obviously, sometimes I know people are always like, tell us the unpopular opinions, tell us what you didn't like. And sometimes I will sound off about that. If you follow me on Instagram, um, just last night I posted like a two-star review and I was like, I did not like this and this bothered me and this is why. And that feels good. It feels therapeutic, but there's just like nothing better than gushing about a book you were obsessed with. And I love doing it so much that I have the show for me to do it. So when I have a five-star read, I say that I get this thing called the five-star feeling. And this is a term that I made up not even knowing I was making up a term. I just said it and continued to say it for years. And this is a feeling that you get when you're reading a book and it can happen on the first page. It can happen 
in the middle. And honestly, one of the five stories I had over Thanksgiving, it happened at the end. And you just get this feeling. I don't know how to fully explain it. I'm going to try. Um, you, If you follow, if you follow me for a while, you know I'm very sentimental. I like to lean into like whimsy and I'm all about vibes and feelings and things making you happy. And all of that kind of goes into the five-star feeling. It is a magic feeling, which I is an important keyword here. And you, it's just when you feel like this book was written for you, whether that means you're picking it up at a time, if there's a message in it that you needed to hear at that time, that is something that you will hear me talk about a lot on this top 15 countdown and as the podcast goes on. It's when you, when the magic of the universe places a book in your hands when you need to be reading it, whether you relate to something in the book or not, but you love it so much and you just can't explain what it is that makes it a five-star read. And I'm sure some of you, I have this happen sometimes too, where I'll have a five-star read and then people are like, what did you love about it? And I'm like, uh, like, um, and I have to think about it because the five-star feeling is something you can't articulate. It's just a feeling that you have and like that's it. You don't you don't need any further explanation from that. If you get the five star feeling, it is a five star read. So, and I used to get that feeling a lot more. Part of reading as much as I do, like I said, I've read two hundred and twenty five books already this year, which I always feel like I have to make this disclaimer, and I've gotten better about it. But if you are not reading that much, most people aren't. Please do not let how much I read make you feel bad about how much you were reading. Reading any book is an accomplishment. If you have read a single book in 2023, then you are on track and you were doing a great job. I like reading is my job. I don't get paid for it. It is my biggest form of self-care and I have not had a full-time job since August. So I have a ton of time to be reading. If I was still working full-time, I would not have be at 225 books. I probably wouldn't even be at 200. So it is just a, I never thought I would read this much in a year. I hit 200 the last two years, but I just thought that was like, that would be the pace maybe for the next few years until like my life changes, I guess, and becomes things become more demanding. But not having a job is what made me be able to read 225 books this year. Actually, though, I think it was, I was unemployed. I finished, I started, I became unemployed at some point in August towards the beginning though, but then I went away right after my last day of work. And I did read a lot more in August, but it was September and October that I read 29 books each in those months, which is crazy. And I have slowed down in November, which is kind of like, I love it. And I don't, don't love it. Like, um, I've definitely been busier this month and haven't had enough time to read, but there is a part of me that was like, well, probably won't be hitting 29 books a month for the rest of my life. So while I am, this is kind of fun and let me power through as many of, of the books I haven't read around my apartment. But, um, did not read 29 books in November, which is fine, obviously, because that was cool that I did it two months in a row. But yeah. Okay. I don't know how I got down that path, but yeah, don't, please don't be mean to yourself or like hard on yourself or compare yourself to how much I read. I also do, like I would be reading if I didn't have Professional Book Girl or K Red What, but because I have those things, I do read more. Like I'm, I want to read every day, but I will, I make it more of a priority because I want to be getting through books to talk to them, uh, to talk about them on this podcast or on my Instagram, whatever. How I get 
five-star reads. That is the note I have on my little episode overview. And that is the next point I'm going to make because I'm just off on every single tangent right now. I used to give books five stars willy-nilly. And in the last two years, specifically in 2023, I actually, I will say 2022 is when I started getting strict with it. I love when you guys will message me and be like, oh my God, you gave it five stars. And like, obviously I love giving a book five stars too. That is, it's the five-star feeling. You love it and it's so exciting, but I don't love to give it out as freely anymore because it makes a book more special when it happens. I should have counted, but I think it's about 25 books that I've given five stars in 2023. I am recording this on November 29th. So also like, yeah, I am worried that I will have my favorite book of the year happen after I've recorded all of these episodes, but you know what? Then I'll just get its own episode in 2024. That is the um, nature of doing what I do. I have to decide my favorite books of the year before the year is out. Also programming note, I'm all over the place right now. Programming note though, um, the top 15 are being counted down on Professional Book Girl. Obviously, these are all the five-star reads, but I will be doing my favorite reads by genre, thriller, historical fiction, and romance on my Carried What Instagram feed, and those will include books that are not on here. So make sure you are checking out Red What kind of in the second half of December. I'll begin doing those countdowns, honorable mentions. I think I'm going to do my favorite covers of the year. I just love doing the yearly wrap-ups. But all of that to say, I don't give five-stars away as freely anymore because I love when it means something and not that it wouldn't like back in the day when I used to be like five, 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 but like it's more special when I'm more discerning about it. And when I just, you have to earn it really, you have to earn the five-star feeling. And like, sometimes I'd be like a flicker of the five-star feeling and I would give it five stars, but no, like you need to earn it. And all of the books on this episode have earned it. All of the books you'll hear me speak about for the rest of the year have earned it. I am so excited. I feel like we should just get into it. One more last quick programming note though, before I get into it. So this week and then the following two weeks are going to be my countdowns. And then there will be no episode on Christmas. I am sorry. When I decided to have this air on Mondays, I realized there are two huge holidays on Mondays coming up, but there will be no Christmas episode, but there will be a New Year's Day episode where I will be reflecting on my year in reading, um, talking about reading goals for 2024. It's kind of going to be like a mini bonus type. It'll be structured a little bit differently. I think I might do some reviews of books that I've read in the interim. Like if I have my favorite read of the year on December 24th, then I don't think I'd be reading on Christmas Eve, but whatever. Then like I would talk about on that episode, It's that's kind of kind of just be like a free for all, like end of the year, year ahead, wrap up. And then we'll be on with the show in normal episodes. So let's get into it because we have five books to talk about. And we are starting off with my 15th favorite book of 2023 out of 225 at this point. That'll be different on next week's episode. It is Thicker Than Water by Megan Collins. And right away, the title and the book this is giving, let me tell you something about my family. We're thick as thieves and we stay, stay together until the end or whatever. However, Caroline Manzo said it on Real Houses New Jersey season one, season finale, like seared into my brain forever. It's the really just the let me tell you something about my family. But okay. Megan Collins is one of my favorite authors. She writes these thrillers that are so twisty, juicy, fun, like everything you want in a thriller. But she also weaves in these real 
life issues too. So there's always like an interesting family dynamic. She talks about anxiety in such a real way. In her book, Behind the Red Door, I actually was like picking up coping mechanisms from the ones that the character used in that book, which that book is wild. You guys need to read that also. I have had the pleasure of interviewing her twice before. If you um, want to hear her talk about this book, Thicker Than Water, go to my Instagram page, kredwatt. If you go to the real section, there is an interview that I did with her over Instagram Live where we talk about this book more in depth. I highly recommend checking that out. If you have two main girls in this book, they are Sienna and Julia. They are best friends. And Julia is married to Sienna's brother, Jason. And they talk about this funny story in the book that the first time they met, the three of them went out to dinner and it was kind of like Julia and Sienna were on the first date and they just hit it off right away. They are absolute best friends. They have a business together. They are very different. Julia and Jason have a son. Sienna is single. She doesn't have any kids. She's kind of always in their household. They live in the house that Sienna grew up in. Um, Sienna is more outspoken and kind of the extrovert of the friendship, but they balance each other out. They do everything together. They are just really more sisters than sisters-in-law. And they live in this small town. I think it was in, set in Connecticut. And one day, Jason's boss is found brutally murdered. And the way that this body was found will be forever seared into my brain. The So the guy was, I think he was stabbed like multiple times. But then they took like a needle and thread and literally sewed his lip shut and then I think he was stuffed into the trunk of a car. And do you know what? As I'm saying this, I'm watching The Sopranos right now. And I feel like that's like how Tony Soprano and his crew would like leave a body or something. But it is it is brutal. And the way that it's described. And I can only just imagine watching the local news. And it's like, oh, a body was found. And oh, listen to this. It's just wild. So you can only assume that the whole small town is kind of in an uproar. They're like, what the heck is going on? It's crazy. Then though, the twists just keep twisting. So then Jason is in a car accident and he ends up in a coma. And now they're at the hospital and the cops are there because like he was in a car accident and his boss has been murdered. And then we find out that Jason is the number one suspect in that brutal murder, but he is in a coma. So he can't defend himself or speak. And Julia and Sienna are like, what the heck? Um, and really shocked and in disbelief at first, but then they suddenly find themselves on opposite sides. And when I interviewed Megan, the author for her book, Family Plot, which is one of my favorite thrillers ever, I highly recommend picking that book up. She told me the plot of this book because she was working on it at the time. And I assumed that the wife would stick by Jason and that the sister would be the one that didn't believe that he was innocent, but that is not the case. So Sienna, the sister, is fully convinced that her brother is innocent. She refuses to believe that he could have anything to do with this. There are some weird things that are not adding up. She refuses to acknowledge it. It's the wife, Julia, who starts to realize that maybe her husband was capable of this. And this is where it gets so, so interesting because like I said, these women are so close. They are best friends. They're in every aspect of each other's lives but suddenly they are faced with the biggest crisis of their lifetimes and they find themselves on opposite sides. So Sienna takes it upon herself to investigate and she plays detective and is looking into clues and like 
digging I, digging into literally evidence um and I'm just like I just remembered a scene that because like I said when I talk about these books I pitch them like movies in my head and there's a scene of her like in a, the warehouse that just popped into my head but she is like Jason is innocent and she is now like named herself the number one detective on the case to prove his innocence Julia and Jason have a teenage son and she's kind of helping him through this her son starts sharing some weird information that leads her to believe that Jason was up to something the night of this murder. And she starts reflecting on their relationship, the way that they came to be together. And she is kind of leaning towards thinking that he may have committed this murder. So it does from there take on this small town murder mystery feel. But the heart of this book is really Julia and Sienna. And there were times where I forgot that this crazy murder had happened and we were supposed to be wondering if Jason was innocent or not because the drama between Julia and Sienna really takes center stage. What Megan does with her books, I have never read another thriller author that does this. Her characters are so real and that is what makes her books stand out at I read so many thrillers and I've gotten to the point where I can, I'm kind of being able to tell what works for me, what doesn't work for me. And it's the focus on characters, which like there's character driven novels and there's plot driven novels. And I will always prefer a plot driven novel, but when the characters are so well written, it really helps to propel the plot forward and it makes you more invested. And that is what makes that five-star feeling appear for me. So I was so invested in Julia and Sienna. There is this one scene where I was like, I like I wasn't, but in my head, I was like clapping and like rooting for Julia as she stood up for herself. She comes into her own. She really changes through this whole process for the better, I think. She grows so much and they just both feel so real and that is what Megan does in all of her books and that like I said is what makes them stand out because you can imagine them as real people in your life that you would be like yeah I understand maybe why they're doing that they're just her characters are just so so three-dimensional and I'm always so impressed with that because they're also set in the backdrop of this insane murder sometimes in thrillers the characters are just doing crazy things to do crazy things her characters are not um sienna also has a love interest that i was really into i don't want to say anything because of spoilers but that was a subplot that i really liked there were some specific things with the boyfriend that i was a fan of and i i don't want to say to spoil but i just that was like another like check i really love that um and i just love reading about a fucked up family that is what like it will always come down to for me i come from a fucked up family it makes me feel better it makes me feel seen it makes my problems feel smaller but yeah this it was just a fun twisty thriller that i do not think got the hype that it deserves so here is me hyping this book up i loved it i obviously gave it 5 stars it is one of my top 15 books in 2023 it is thicker than water by megan collins Wait, also, I forgot to say in the beginning how I decided what, which books get which thoughts. So I listed all of my five star reads of 2023 and then kind of numbered them from there. But so much of that depends on mood and like what I was thinking at the time. And I have changed it around a little bit. So I would say take stock in the number order a little bit, but it's really like all of these books are my favorite of the year. Okay, anyway, on to number 14. The Boyfriend Candidate by Ashley Winstead. I love Ashley Winstead. I already gave you guys this whole spiel on the first episode of the podcast when I spoke about Midnight is the Darkest Hour, which is one of her thrillers. And I told you on that episode that she also writes some of my favorite romance books. And this book 
is that. So her first romance was called Fool Me Once. It is this romance, obviously, that takes place in Austin, Texas, and there's a huge political element to it. They're basically campaigning for the first Democratic governor. I don't know if it was the first, but for a Democratic governor in Texas, which is a big deal. And the main character's name is Lee and whatever. It's her whole story. I also give that book five stars. So go check that out. In this book, our main character is her younger sister, Alexis. So this is a romance universe. You don't need to read Fool Me Runs to read this book. I always like to read them in order though, just because some things are spoiled, like not anything major, but you obviously know who Lee ends up with, little things like that. I'm just a completist and I like to do things in order. So I would recommend doing Fool Me Once first, but you don't have to. This one though, I liked more than Fool Me Once. I was smiling, gasping, swooning. I haven't written in all caps, swooning, like obsessed with this and this couple and the guy in this book. I loved it so much. So like I said, our main girl is Alexis. She is Lee's younger sister. And in Fool Me Once, we found out that she had, um, she just gotten out of, I think, a relationship where her boyfriend cheated on her and she's just feeling like down about herself. She's an elementary school librarian. She's kind of the goody two shoes, the good girl. I could relate to her <laughs> with a lot of that. Not, she doesn't really do anything reckless, kind of always follows the rules. But after she gets out of this shitty relationship, she decides that she's going to have a one night stand. So she gets all dressed up and she goes to this nice hotel in Austin and she goes to the bar. And right when she gets there, this creepy guy starts hitting on her and she's not having it. And she's standing up for herself though. Like she doesn't need someone to come and save the day. But this really hot guy kind of like gets the creepy guy to go away and they strike up a conversation. And she says too, like, I didn't need you to interfere but whatever he does, and they spark up a situation, uh, conversation, and they decide to go upstairs and get a room in this hotel, and she's gonna have her one night stand. So they go upstairs and they're like doing stuff, and the fire alarm goes off. So now, like her one night stand is ruined. They have to go outside with the whole hotel, and I, for some reason, she needed to be in an ambulance. So she's like sitting in the back of the ambulance. The guy whose name is Logan is with her. And all of a sudden, people start taking pictures of Logan, and he literally runs away from her, like just turns and starts running, and he's gone. And she's like, what the heck just happened? And she's like, a guy literally ran away from me, like not even being ghosted, like literally runs away from me. The next day, though, she finds out from the news that Logan is running for office in Texas. I think it was governor, but that might not be right. Um and the people are taking pictures of him because he is a public figure running for office and he was seen with this mystery woman who is alexis so she is contacted by his campaign and they bring her in and the decision is made that they are going to fake date which bells chiming everywhere that is my favorite romance trope second to i love when they fall in love with like the bodyguard like in american royal she was a princess in love with her security detail like the dream um but they decide that she is going to fake date logan so that way he looks like more of a respected person not having a one night stand in a hotel which is what he was doing of course and she but she is like well i need something out of it on my end and he will, I'm pretty sure it was that he was going to help push, um, her school library was going to be losing funding. I think it was. So he was going to help push that and like school funding and early childhood education and libraries were going to 
become a bigger part of his campaign. So they end up fake dating. The politics comes into play in a really fun way. I loved reading about this. Like it's, uh, politics is just so divided and it was fun to read about it where in a fun way and playful and it was still serious, but they were campaigning together for things that they love. Like there's this, um, they hold rallies for the library and it was just, it was really cool. And throughout the whole, whole thing, Alexis finds her voice and really comes into her own and realizes what she wants to be doing with her life. Then, like I said, he has the campaign going on. So there's like, there's the debate and there's things like that, that I, I really enjoyed reading about in a way that wasn't so contentious, like real life. Um, and I also just really loved Logan. Like if you're watching on video, I feel like you can see my face right now, like um, book boyfriend for sure. I loved him so much. I wish he was real and wanted to fake date me. I was obsessed with them as a couple just overall. I loved this. It was just fun and feel good. And like I said, I was swooning in all caps. Like what more could you want from a romance? Like sometimes we just want to swoon, you know? Yes, I loved it. Um, check out Fool Me Once also and Ashley's thrillers too, which are the most insane thrillers I've ever read. That is The Boyfriend Candidate by Ashley Winstead. Okay, moving on to book number 13 of 2023. This is A Twisted Love Story by Samantha Downing. And if we were going to mash together the two books I've already spoken about, a thriller and a romance, then you would get this book. So I could not put this book down. I am a huge fan of this author. My Lovely Wife specifically is one of my favorite thrillers and that in the same vein as this one is about a fucked up couple. And I just thought that was so fun to read. When I was reading My Lovely Wife, I started reading it on a plane and I was so sucked into it that when I like looked up an hour later, I didn't realize that we hadn't taken off and we had been sitting on the tarmac the whole time. That is how into that book I was. And I was the same way with this one. So this is a thriller, but it's also a love story. I wouldn't, it's like, I would not class this as romance, not even a dark romance. Like it is a thriller, but there's a love story aspect to it that is so fucked up and twisted and fun. And I loved it. So the couple is Ivy and Wes. They met in college and have always had this kind of toxic on and off again, playing games with each other relationship. It is not healthy at all. Someone may think it is abusive. And honestly, the detective that becomes involved in this story thinks that Ivy's in an abusive relationship, but actually they are equally as abusive to each other. Like they are just fucked up, honestly. So they're so toxic, right? But they are meant for each other, which when I wrote that on, I have like little bullet points. So I can jog my memory as I talk. And I wrote that one and I thought about Magnolia and BJ from the Magnolia Park Sooners, which like wink, wink, we'll be talking about soon. Um, and that one is different in the sense of like a toxic relationship where it's like mind games and cheating or something like that. This is like, it's a thriller. So you, there's your hint at what happens in this book. So Wes is at work one day and the police come in and they say that someone has filed a report against you for stalking them. And he literally says in the book, Ivy's back and he cancels all of his plans for that night. I think he had a date and he is reunited with Ivy. They had been on a break. She faked this stalking report just to get his attention back. So that is what I mean with like playing these toxic twisted games with each other. So they're back together now. They're doing their thing, whatever. They're in a relationship. And 
because she filed this fake police report though, now they're on the police's radar, which maybe is a place that they, Ivy should have thought about that a little bit given their past and they don't want to be there. So there is another perspective, which we got Ivy's point of view, we got Wes's point of view, and we got Detective Karen's point of view. And she is the detective that Ivy went to to file this fake police report. But what Ivy didn't know is that her, when she goes home at night, she is working on cold cases, specifically this one case of a hit and run that had happened years ago. Um, according to my notes, seven years ago, there was this hit and run where an 18-year-old boy was killed in the backseat of his car. And the case went cold immediately because the day after this very high-profile murder happened and all of the police attention and all of the media attention went to that murder. So it's just always remained cold. I think it was like kind of cursory look into it. No one knows what really happened that day. But now Ivy and Wes are on Karen's radar and they get sucked into her open investigation. And I, I can't say anything. Like, it's, I love talking about thrillers because I love them so much, but I can't, I don't want to ruin anything for you guys. I will say there is another point of view that we got that I will not tell you what it is. Um, but it, it's just a fun layer. And there are so many aspects of this book that are like, what the fuck? So many twists and turns, the way everything comes together, the way it wraps up, the way it ends. The fact that the love story itself, I think is so unique. When I saw that this book was coming out and I, I read the synopsis in it, but when I saw the title, I was like, what is this going to be about? But I I think it's a really interesting thriller trope to have it be almost a Bonnie and Clyde type. I you know I've never seen Bonnie and Clyde, so I hope I'm using that correctly. But I'm assuming it's like a Bonnie and Clyde type relationship, um, and I think it's so interesting to read that in a thriller where they're kind of in it together but maybe not together. It's really fun. And she did this with my lovely wife too. I think Samantha Downing does that trope best. Pick this book up. You will not be able to put it down. It is fast. It is twisty. It is fucked up, which we all need sometimes. I loved it. That is A Twisted Love Story by Samantha Downing. Book number 12 is When He Was Wicked by Julia Quinn. This is Francesca's book in the Bridgerton series. And oh my God, it is my favorite of all the Bridgerton books by far. So I read this book. Actually, I was out of town. I was in Hershey, Pennsylvania because my sister's childhood best friend was getting married. And I was reading this like the morning before the wedding, which just felt very timely to be reading a Bridgerton book when you're about to go to a wedding. I don't think you need to read the Bridgerton books in order, but do you know what? I've, I've never spoken about this, but I got my Bridgerton books from Once Upon a Book Club, and they're the most beautiful books that I have. If you go to my Red Wet feed, I have many photos of them on there. They are so beautiful. And so I read them in that order. But when they were published, they added a second epilogue, which like really spoils things for you because it, it'll take place like 10 or 15 years later. So like the earlier ones about the older siblings spoil things that happen later. And sometimes I like I should have just waited and read and read all of those like after I finished the whole series, but whatever. So I read the Bridgerton series in order. I don't necessarily think that you need to. I would honestly just go right to this one because it is my favorite one. I think it is the best. Um, and the main sister is Francesca, which if you're only familiar with the Bridgerton show, we have not really met her yet on the show. I think she was in the first season like 
they showed her. I feel like, I think she's in that scene where they all like peek their heads into Daphne's bedroom, but they just recently, not that recent, but since the last season aired, they cast her actually as this actress who I watched in another Netflix show and I thought she was great. So I'm excited that she's playing Francesca, but kind of the lore of Francesca in the Bridgerton series up until her book is that she spends time with their aunt in, I think, Scotland, which if that is correct, it would make sense because in this book, we find out that she got married and she married like definitely before Eloise because in Eloise's book, they talk about Francesca being married and Eloise is older than Francesca because they're all in alphabetical order. But um, also, I'm assuming everyone knows what Bridgerton is, but they're Regency era romance books, romance books that I just came to be obsessed with after watching the first season of the show. Oh, wait, I actually read the first. I read the first book before I watched the show. Um, okay. Anyway, my brain today is not working right. So the lore is that she is like never in town really, which is kind of interesting because she seems like a girl who would enjoy um, the ton and being out at all of the balls, but she married, like I said before, Eloise, and she married a Scottish Earl. So they spend a lot of time at his castle in Scotland. And I was reading this, here comes my UK trip again. I, you, I bet you thought we'd get an episode without it, but no, we're not. I read this before I went to Scotland and then there's scenes where she's like out in the fields and then she gets like caught in the rain at one point and when I was up in the Scottish Highlands I was like thinking about Francesca because she is my favorite Bridgerton like she won that spot from Benedict Francesca Bridgerton is my number one okay anyway she married I cannot say on track this episode she married a Scottish Earl and now she like mainly lives in Scotland with him and I forgot his name he dies very early on not really a spoiler it's on the back of the book but he has a cousin, Michael, who we learn was kind of infatuated with Francesco when they first met. But then he realizes that she's going to be marrying his cousin, who is his best friend and also his heir. So that means when Francesca's husband died, Michael became the Earl of whatever. I forgot the official Earldom name. So he marries, though. He dies, though, very young. Francesca was so in love. It was a love match. It's very devastating when she dies. And then after he dies, sorry, it's devastating when he dies. And then after he dies, she finds out that she is pregnant. So there's this kind of waiting period of if it'll be a boy, that means he will be the heir. Otherwise, Michael inherits the earldom. Some things happen and Michael ends up becoming the Earl and he kind of leaves town for a while. I think he went traveling, I think maybe to India because um, he is just faced all of a sudden this huge responsibility. He never thought he would inherit the Earldom. It was supposed to go to his cousin who was his best friend and then all of his children. Now it's on him. It's this huge responsibility and he's in love with his cousin slash best friend's widow. So he fucks out of London because he can't be faced with all these problems. Francesca, like if you read or have seen Bridgerton, you know that they're a very close-knit family. So she's relying heavily on her mom. She was also close with her mother-in-law, but she decides after the mourning period ends, it might've been a little bit after that. Cause you know, in society back in 1812 in the Regency era, there was the like strict mourning period you had to follow. She decides though that she wants to get remarried because she wants to have kids. 
So now Michael is back in town. And also I forgot to say that he's a rake, which if you don't know what that means, it's kind of like a historic term for fuck boy, but like not like, I mean, yeah, I guess so. But like maybe more charming than like a 2023 fuck boy. Do people still use that term? I don't know. But I think like that is the modern equivalent that I would use to rake. Um, so he's like, dating everyone you know and he's like the hot bachelor on the scene he is the diamond of the season of the men if you will and obviously like the ton are all a flutter when he comes back to london because now all of the moms are trying to get their daughters to be his wife also because he is an earl so there's money there's a title involved whatever so now he's finally back and francesca and michael were super close before the husband died and he literally left the country So now they're striking up their friendship again under this pretense kind of of him like helping her find a husband. But obviously they get together. Something I love about the Bridgerton books is that like they're pretty big. They're all in my version. They're all around 400 pages. But the first half is kind of the angst and them getting together. And then they always get together about halfway through. And I really like that because then you get to read about not even just the happily ever after, but you get to read about their time together as a couple. And I think specifically in these historic romance books where like they can't really do much before they're married. I like getting to see what their married life is like. And I like getting to see the story continue. I love when more Bridgertons pop into the book. They honestly, they weren't in this one too much, but I was just so obsessed with Francesca and Michael and like talk about another book boyfriend. I loved Michael so much. And I also really love Francesca. Like I said, she's not my favorite Bridgerton. They spend a lot of time in Scotland, which I really enjoyed reading about. And now that I've been to Scotland, I can speak to it as such a magical, beautiful place. And I really enjoyed reading about it, specifically in this time period with this couple that I loved. I am excited. Like I said, they cast her on the show. I am hoping they do her story justice. Um, I didn't love Bridgerton show spoilers ahead. I didn't love the way that things were playing out so far with Penelope and Colin because like, I don't like that we know that she's whistled down already because in the books that happens much later. So I'm interested to see how that's going to go. And also though, I love Eloise on the show, but I hated her book. Um, So I'm interested to see, like, it makes me hopeful that they'll portray Francesca Michael's story correctly, but I don't know. We'll just have to wait and see. Who knows when we'll ever get to watch their season. But I loved it. My favorite Bridgerton book. That is When He Was Wicked by Julia Quinn. The final book for this episode, my number 11 of the year, is Yellow Face by R.F. Kuang. Guys, I almost didn't read this book and look at us now. I just didn't think it would be for me when I saw it going around Bookstagram, which is something that happens frequently, I would say. I'm very particular about who I take recommendations from. I usually can tell before I pick a book up if I'll like it or not. But uh, so I didn't think I would like this one. It was sent to me by the publisher. And I was like, you know what, let me give it a try. And I'm so glad that I did. I read it in one sitting. I could not put it down. My favorite thing about this book is that it's pretty much a satire on the publishing industry. And I've never worked in publishing, but just because of what I do with my Instagram, I feel like I have maybe more of an understanding of how publishing works. I know people who have worked in publishing and it was just so interesting and so well done. So I think, look, if you're listening to this podcast, I think that would work for you and it would be interesting for you. People who are involved in the book world, if you're a bookstagrammer, 
booktuber, book talker, there's so many book things you could be now. Um, I think you will really understand like the satire and the conversation that this book starts. But our main girl is June and she is a struggling writer. She kind of thinks very highly of herself, but she's never had a hit. Like her career is just not great. And she has a frenemy from college, emphasis on the frenemy, named Athena, who has everything that June wants. She has successful novels, a Netflix deal. She has just finished her manuscript for her next novel that is set to be, like, to shake up the publishing industry. It's supposed to be so big. And they, June, like, hates her, but she kind of keeps up with her because she she's so jealous of her. It's kind of like when you hate follow someone on Instagram. That's what it's like with June and Athena. So, um, June and Athena are out one night celebrating, I think it was Athena's Netflix deal. And they decide to go back up to Athena's apartment for kind of a nightcap. And it's just the two of them in the apartment. And Athena starts choking and then she dies. And June is just standing in the apartment alone. And she calls 911. But before she does that, she steals Athena's manuscript. So she's got it in her bag. And Athena only writes on a typewriter. It's like part of her lore. Um, So there are no digital copies of it. There's only that one copy. So now June has that copy. And then she calls 911. And they're unable to revive Athena. And she is dead. So June then passes off that manuscript as her own book. And this is a very important distinction that I, or piece of information for this book that I am going to tell you right now. June is a white woman and Athena is Asian. And the book is about Chinese workers in World War II. So you can just imagine how this book would be received, written by a white woman in the world that we live in today that is about Chinese workers who were treated so horribly in World War II. But she passes it off as her own, doesn't think anything of it. She finishes writing it because not all of it was done, but she sends the manuscript to her publisher pretending it's her own. The book comes out and is a huge, massive hit. June is on book tours. She is on TV talking about it. It's a number one bestseller. She is everywhere. She has everything she has ever wanted, but it is all based on a lie. And eventually she starts being blackmailed. Someone is like, I know your secret. And then at the same time, because of the blackmail, she gets so paranoid and her mind starts unraveling and she thinks Athena is haunting her and her life just spirals out of control. And eventually the story breaks that she did not write this book. That's all I will say about the plot. I could just picture this happening in real life. If you are on Bookstagram, if you have been on Bookstagram for a few years, there's always a major drama or a scandal happening. And I could see, like, I could just imagine the Instagram stories about this type of scandal, about this author and this book. It is so well done. It is so clever. It's entertaining. It is captivating. I couldn't stop reading it. The conversation on publishing and race and just society today and specifically this community of like people who read and consume books and how we consume them and who gets to write certain things and who doesn't and it it was just so interesting so well done it almost becomes like a psychological thriller in a sense because she is just so in her head spiraling and like I was getting anxious reading it for her even though she I knew she was the bad guy but it was just I I can't. It was so, so well done. I highly, highly recommend this book. It is unlike anything else I have ever read that is Yellow Face by R.F. Kuang.
All right, that concludes our first episode of my favorite books of 2023. Let me know if any of these made it into your favorites of the year. Also, let me know what your favorite books of the year are. I just learned on Spotify, if you're watching or listening there, you can like answer Q&A. So let me know on there what your favorite books were. As always, please make sure you are following, subscribe, whatever it is you have to do on whatever podcast platform you are listening on. Leave me a review. Follow me on Instagram at kredwatt. Follow the podcast on Instagram at professionalbookgirl. Subscribe on YouTube at professionalbookgirl. Check out the bookshop.org professionalbookgirl. Basically all of the things professionalbookgirl. I will see you next week with my next five favorite books of the year.